Let's turn together now to uh, the first letter of Peter and chapter 1 and reading at verse number 10. First Peter 1 and at verse number 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look, and so on. And we continue our uh, study of this uh, letter of Peter, and we notice that he was writing to Christians who were uh, living uh, across what we call nowadays the place Turkey, and he was writing to them in order to encourage them in their faith and to stir them up to faithfulness in the world in which they lived. And we uh, notice the way in which that is important for ourselves to hear what God has to say to us in our own world so that we may remain faithful in the midst of all the challenges that we do face. And when we need help, as they did, when we do need help, it is always important for the person who is going to help us to understand exactly what we need. And only the person that can do that for us will truly be able to help us. And Peter has gone through this introduction and he has raised to their attention the very things that he knows and believes are absolutely foundational to their experience as the children of God and to enable them to see life in the world in the light of what God has done for them. And we saw the way in which they are elect exiles, they are in the world, and they are where they are because they were chosen by God. We saw the way in which they became the children of God by the the new birth that God has given to them and acted in them through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So he is rooting all that they are in the purposes of God in the salvation of God through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and then coming to show to them that though they are suffering in the world, they are doing so because their faith needs to be proven, cleansed and made strong and to enable them to live not only devoted to the Lord Jesus but learning more and more about his grace. And having done all of that, in the introduction, we wonder what else could he do? What more could he do for them? And the answer to that question is that he left the most important thing of all until the last. And he left the emphasis on the word of God to the last section of his introduction, which we have in these verses, to show to them and to show to us that As much as we need the assurance of salvation that we are the children of God, yes, it is because of God's plan. Yes, it is because of what we are experiencing. But ultimately, unless we find our 
Christian experience and salvation in the word of God, then we will wobble in life. We will be tossed around with, on the waves as, as we read James saying, we will be going from crisis to crisis. And so today I want to look at these verses in verse 10 to 12 and to see in them the assurance that comes from a biblical perspective of salvation. I want to see first of all that there is provision in these verses and the provision is for them. And the provision is simply the very word of God. We see the way in which he begins at verse 10 concerning the salvation that they have experienced, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. He takes us right back and then right back to the words, to the, the Bible in the Old Testament, the only Bible that they had. And he brings them back to the whole idea of the person who is the prophet. And yes, of course, the, the prophet does tell what's going to happen in the future. And yes, of course, the prophet does tell what God has to say to people in the present. But the prophet especially is there to proclaim the message of God with the authority of God and to do so in such a way so that the people of God will hear, will listen and will respond to the words of the prophet. And we read the history of the Old Testament and we see that at the very beginning of the history of the people of God we have a prophet and the prophet is Moses. And we go to listen to, to Moses and God engaging with him. And he tries to use every excuse in the world for him not to do what God is commanding him to do. Until in the end, God said to him, I will be your mouth and teach you what to speak. So that the very words that come out of Moses, the prophet, will not be the words of Moses. They will be the words of God. And Aaron was going to be part of that process where, where Moses was going to be as God's lips to Aaron. And Moses was going to be as God to him. Raising the, the, the whole concept of the solemnity of the word of God so that the human being who is speaking is speaking with the very lips of God. And as Moses goes to speak later on in the book of Deuteronomy where he goes to speak about the God who promises to raise up a prophet like me, after me, to him you will listen. How shall we know that this is a prophet that has been sent out by God. If what he says does not come to pass, then he has not been sent by me. He is, his lips are my lips, his tongue is my tongue. God is in the prophet as he speaks his word. And Peter in the second epistle, he, he goes, to, goes further in saying that at the, at the end of chapter one. No prophecy comes from one's own interpretation. But instead of that, 
Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I see a ship sailing on the waters. It's carried along by the wind, by its sails. And here is a reminder from Peter that the person who is the prophet is carried carried along by the Spirit of God and his own experience and his daily trials work together to make him the person that he is, individualizing the message that he has in such a way as to make it personal as well as divine. But the whole point is that the human being who is speaking is not the author. The whole point is that when the human speaks, it is the word of God. And Peter wants his his readers and his hearers to understand that. The words of Paul in 2 Timothy 3, that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's expired. It's breathed out from the very lungs, from the very depths of God. And today we we come to, to worship God around the word of God, to hear the word of God. And we need to sense something of the divine in the very reading of his word. Something of the divine presence. That the almighty, invisible God is the one who is breathing, speaking through every word that we read from the pages of the Holy Bible. And once we come to that place, it transforms our worship. It transforms our living Because it's not about me. It's not about anyone else who speaks. It is about the only true, eternal, living God who speaks into our world and who sends the prophets so that we have the Bible, so that the hearers of Peter's letter would remember the importance of the Bible. And the provision was not restricted to that in the sense that the provision was specific for them and for their benefit. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched diligently and inquired. The grace that was to be yours. I think of grace and I think of the heart of God. The way in which he is predisposed to lean out towards me, to help me in my helplessness, to bring to me the things that will not only bring me a sense of well-being, but the things that will bring joy into my heart. I think of the movement of God's heart. And the readers of, the hearers of this letter are to understand that when the gospel comes to them, that it comes to them rooted in the word of God, breathed out by God, that is also rooted in the very heart of God, that is so moved such a way to embrace. Today we want to, to sense this provision as we recognize that the solemnity of God speaking, 
that we also sense the compassion, the grace of God. So it is a presence that does not come, that fills us with fear before somebody who's, who's going to judge, but that his presence is something that fills us with a sense of peace and of anticipation, the heart of God. And when I also think of the grace of God, I think of the way in which what was in the heart of God was revealed. Paul, in writing to Titus in chapter 2, speaks about the salvation-bearing grace of God. It's a vehicle, it's 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 a chariot. It comes from God bearing all of the gifts of the graces of salvation to come to us where we are. The grace of God that has touched their lives. The grace of God that has so transformed their experience. Realizing that the grace of God in the heart of God, from the word of God, is what has changed And who is the better teacher of that than Peter? We go back to to the, the fundamental point in history that comes to bring the fulfillment of all that God had promised into the experience of this world on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit of God comes down at Pentecost. And what do I read? I read of chaos. These people are drunk with wine. So many things have gone wrong. There is no explanation. But Peter stands up. And when Peter speaks, there is calm. And the calm that he brings is a calm that brings people to the grace of God in Christ. And what does he say to bring about that calm? This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. What's he doing? He's doing exactly what Peter is saying here, the same Peter. And today, for his hearers and for ourselves, let's never lose sight of the significance of the Word of God. Because if we do, we will be chaotic in our Christianity, we will be chaotic in our living. If we allow the whole image of of the voice of God and the message of God and the grace of God and and the, the promises of God, if we allow all of that to speak into our daily Christian living, there will be calm. And the storm will be changed into a calm the moment we rest on the living word of God. The provision. Hearers of my letter, remember that what has happened to you is rooted in the word of God and therefore in the being of God. And following on from that, from that provision, there is a preoccupation. What happens to me when when I realize this? 
that it is something that comes to the very centre of my living, the very centre of my thinking, and I cannot get away from this because it becomes my preoccupation. And that's what, what happened with the prophets. At verse number 11, they were inquiring what personal time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. They had the message, and the message had a mystery. And that mystery left them searching and inquiring, tracking something out, trying to find out the detail of what they were saying. And, and that sense of searching what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. They are looking at two things. What kind of person will this be? And what are the circumstances in which he is going to be found? And the prophets, speaking the word of God, the very word of God, that they are speaking themselves. They don't fully understand it, but they are searching diligently to find out the truth and what the truth about the person of Jesus means, the one, the prediction of the sufferings of Christ and its glories. And they are preoccupied in their own private search for, for the riches of the grace of God. They are preoccupied with these two things. Who is this person going to be? In what circumstances am I going to find him? And let's just think of Isaiah as an example. At the very beginning of that prophecy, God is saying through Isaiah that he has begotten children, but that they have rebelled against him. Instead of living like his children, they have turned his back upon him. And because of that, the people of God are under the wrath and the curse of God. And Isaiah is speaking from there. And here is a message in chapter 7. A virgin shall conceive, bring forth a son. She shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Can we imagine for a moment Isaiah going home, having spoken these words and wondering, what kind of passion will this be? And in what circumstances will we find this passion? Imagine Isaiah speaking the words of Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. The suffering of the servant. He is going to be exalted and be very high. He's also going to be made a sin offering. And he is the servant of Jehovah. Imagine Isaiah going home. And thinking, what kind of person will this be? What's going to happen in this, to this person? What are the circumstances in which we're going to find this person? And there is that, that, that sense of trying to, to trace through, to reach forward. The things concerning Jesus said, Many prophets desire to see the things that you see. 
And today, if you are the child of God, you will be preoccupied in the same way. What kind of person is the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth? What kind of circumstances am I going to find him in? And if I am searching for him today, that's exactly my outlook. From the word of God, I, I, I learn that this is how God works and my heart is moved as their hearts were moved, making this longing, this desire, this search for what? For the predictions of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that were to follow. The sufferings in their plural. And Jesus was a man who suffered from the time he came into the world. From the time Herod tried to kill him until the time that he's resting in the tomb. He suffered. He suffered at the hands of sinful people. He suffered with the temptations of the devil. He suffered as he was nailed to the cross. But especially, he suffered at the hands of God, his Father. And today we, we, we are here and we, we are reflecting on what they were looking for. And they were looking forward to, to what is now in the past for us. The depths to which the King of Glory descended. And as graphic as, as the words of Isaiah 53 are, how much more vivid is the suffering of the Son of God, the servant of Jehovah, when we see him on the cross at Calvary. And when his whole appearance is changed, when his whole body is beginning to fall apart, until he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the glories, the subsequent glories, the glory of the resurrection, the glory of the ascension to the right hand of God, the glory of being sat at God's right hand, the glory of being king over his church and the glory of his return, which is what, what's at the centre of these verses here. This outcome of your salvation, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, the glory of his return. And the prophets were caught up with the mystery of his sufferings and his return. And we tonight, yes, we're, today we're, we're preoccupied with the history of the suffering of the Son of God. If we are born again, as, as Peter says they were, if we are born again, we are preoccupied with what has already happened. But when we look forward to the return of the Son of God, we are doing so just like them. We're trying to track 
the circumstances in, in which this will happen. We're trying to think of, of what he will be like when he comes. We have not yet seen him, Peter has already said, yet we still love him. And we cannot but be caught up with, with trying to, to work out in our minds what will that day be like? When will that day be? What will he be like? And what will we be like? What are you searching for today? What are you preoccupied with? Here is the centre, the heartbeat of the life the child of God, of the prophets of God, wanting to understand the word of God and how that speaks in particular to the passion of Christ and the work of Christ and the return of Christ, the preoccupation. And finally, more briefly, the privilege. He wants them to understand how privileged they are. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Everything that they said, the prophet said, was for Peter's readers. What a privilege for you and for me today that all that they spoke, the prophets, that they spoke for you and for me, that they were serving you. And the, the, the very words that they were speaking, that these are the very words now which have been announced through those who are preaching the good news. Something of which Isaiah speaks in chapter 52 when he speaks of how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. The good news that Isaiah spoke and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Moses and all of the prophets. The good news now proclaimed in the gospel. The good news proclaimed by the same Holy Spirit that inspired them and brought to them the words of God. And that Holy Spirit now is working in them in the gospel. And that Holy Spirit which comes from heaven is doing two, has done two things for them. First of all, they are born again to a living hope. They become the children of God. And the second thing is what Jesus promised in John chapter 16 with regard to the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father is going to send in his name. He will not glorify himself. He will point to me. He will glorify me. He will take of my things and show it to you. And then in Turkey, in that whole area where these people were found, they were to understand that what made them the children of God in the world in which they lived 
was on the basis of the Word of God and of the Spirit of God. And that's what made them who they were. And today, for, for you and, and for me, that's where we come to. What do we see and who do we see? Or who do we not see? And if we have the Spirit of God in our hearts, we see Jesus. We see the mystery of him coming into the world. We see the, the magnificence of his life. And, and we see the, the darkness into which he descended. We see the, the beauty of everything that he is and that he did. It's at the center of who we are and what we do. And that tells you and me today whether we are born again or not. Where the Spirit of God is, there is certainly freedom but where the Spirit of God is, there is a view of Jesus Christ. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in the first letter, speaks about the way in which the things that, that God has prepared for his people has never entered into the heart of man, but God has revealed them to us by his Spirit, who searches the deep things of God and makes them known to us the privilege should we not feel privileged today that this gospel is ours and a section closes to add another dimension to, to the way in which it's just, not just Peter that wants them to, to see that they're privileged but he wants them to think of the angels the unfallen angels and to, to think of the way in which they see Peter's hearers and readers privileged also. Things into which angels long to look. The angels that spoke of the coming of the Lord Jesus. The angels that were ministering to him. The angel that appeared in the garden of Gethsemane to strengthen him. The angels that appeared at the resurrection to say that he was not here. The angels long to look. They are bubbling over with a sense of, of the immeasurable greatness and magnificence of, of what God has done for sinful people in Christ. And just like the angels are in, in Revelations chapter 5 when they're gathered around the throne of God and singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. They don't need his redemption. They don't need his salvation. They don't need the grace of God. But they marvel at the way in which Christ has achieved what he has. They marvel at the way in which God delights in what the Son of God has done. They marvel at the way in which it's for the good of sinful humankind. And they marvel at the way in which the day will come when all of them will see the fullness of the glory of the salvation that God has provided. And if the angels see its magnificence and its worth Surely we today, as those who are privileged, 
we marvel that this is for us, that God spoke for our benefit, that he came in his grace, that he showed to us the suffering of his son and how we are reconciled to God through him. And that gives us today the hope of everlasting life so that we are still searching until we see Jesus, until his return, and until we are like him. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we rejoice in you and in your word. We are thankful that we have it before us. We are thankful that we have it in our daily lives. Help us to love it as the words that are breathed out by you. Help us to love it as the truth of God. And help us to seek you more and more in it. And help us to be so transformed by it that we may, in looking for you and in looking to you, become more and more like you day by day we do pray. Bless us and bless your word as we ask. We ask all of these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.